Welcome to Naked Without Shame, Theology of the Body and What It Means to Be Human. My name is Kelly Reed, and I will be your host. And I'm Kerrigan Gardner, Kelly's co-host. Yes, and we'll be right back. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Open your hearts, open up your hearts to Christ. There is in life... It's the joy that comes from God and is found in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus Christ. He is the hope of the world. Welcome back. And we'd like to take an opportunity to invite you to become a part of the Awakened Nation. If you enjoy the wonderful content that's being put out by this ministry, uh, we'd love to have you become um, a part of it with us. And you can do that by going to awakennation.org slash donate. We, we really would appreciate any donation that you would like to make to keep the programming going. Um, it can be a one-time donation or you can be a regular donor. But again, that would be awakennation, or excuse me, awakennation.org. AwakenCatholic.org slash donate. Also like to invite you to check out the Awaken app. Um, if you want to have all this content right at your fingerprints, you can have videos, podcasts, talks, music, be part of prayer and community. This is a great opportunity. A little bit different than your typical app. You don't find it in the app store. Just go to the Awaken app. Dot io, and you'll be able to download it. So we'd encourage you to do that, to be a part of all the good stuff going on here. And another app we love is the Halo app. So this app is really cool, especially as we're kicking off a new year and um, maybe want to spice up the prayer routine. Um, I really like Halo for um, the different daily meditations on there, the gospel reading for the day. Um, there's so much on there. Um, you can keep on finding new stuff. So what's really cool is that you can try the premium version for one month for free by using Awaken's link. So that's hallow.app slash Awaken. Thanks, Kerrigan. Mm -hmm. um, well, today's episode, we're calling it TOB, or Theology of the Body, and Same-Sex Attraction. Uh, so we're going to talk about uh, one of the most difficult and emotionally charged issues of our time, mm -hmm. you know, homosexuality. Um, what does the church really have to say about it? Um, and where is God's loving truth found in all of this? So uh, we're going to try to, because it's such a huge topic, look at it from 30,000 feet. We're going yep. to give a context for the discussion, kind of get into it in an overview, and then in subsequent episodes we can go into it more deeply. So like I said, this is a really difficult issue, um, very controversial, maybe not as controversial as it was five years ago, because it's almost within our culture, it appears to be more of a settled issue, mm -hmm. but um, it still goes right in the face of church teaching. And so we want to make sure that we can add some clarity there. Right. Um, there has been such a dramatic change in attitude in society over this. It was almost as if a tsunami came upon us and that finally ended with the legalization of, of gay marriage. But that doesn't change, you know, what the church teaches on it. So hopefully exactly. we can give some clarity there. Um, it's interesting because Gallup did a poll, um, I believe it, it was in 2018, 
of Americans, I think it was 2,500 people in their sample, and they asked these people, what percentage of the American population do you think is homosexual? And the response was about 20%. Um, so that's the perception that's out there. Okay. But Gallup also did a poll and they determined from self-respondents that the actual findings were only about 4.5%. Okay. So significantly less than what the perceived amount is. But part mm -hmm. of that is because in the culture, you know, we've normalized homosexual behavior. Mm -hmm. We see it in television shows and movies and, you know, all of that. Right. Um, in the last census in 2010, the response was probably about half of that from people who responded that they were homosexuals. Now, we just had a census this year, so it'll be interesting to see what those numbers actually show as well. Mm -hmm. But these are people who are responding, and they're they're talking about their own situation. So that would be a more accurate count, I suppose. Right, right. So um, the question of same-sex attraction is... Um, it's important because we need to understand why the church teaches as it does. Again, it gets a bad rap. It really does from the culture. And I suppose, um, you know, our purpose is simply to explain it in an understandable way, um, just kind of as an introduction to it. So there are probably going to be a lot of people that may watch this that disagree with it. And everybody has a right to their own opinion. Um, you know, I find, though, that in our society today, uh, we're not really allowed to talk about these kinds of issues because if you disagree with someone, then immediately you're shut down or you're called some really vulgar names or you're a hater or mm -hmm. something like that. So, um, again, everybody has a right to their opinion, but I would just like to ask people to come with an open heart and an open mind and to really just inform their conscience on their own. I mean, we're not here to tell people what they have to believe. We're simply trying to explain why God's truth is what it is, as articulated through the church. Right. So, right. so I think it may help to kind of take a step back from where we are today and look back at history. So where have we seen homosexuality, homosexuality, excuse me, throughout history. Can you dive into that yes, a little bit? Yes, ab absolutely. And, um, you know, we're going to go back to the fall, basically, too. But before that, I, I even want to add that there's an important context that we have to think about. Um, a lot of times people think when we're talking about what the church teaches in terms of homosexuality, we're not talking about the person, okay? Um, because all people are made in the image and likeness of God. We all have great dignity and worth. So we're not talking about the person. We're not judging a person. We can never judge a person because only God knows our hearts. Only right. God knows the circumstances um, of our experience and things. What we're talking about here is the purpose and meaning of the sexual act, always. I mean, so it's not about the person. It's also not about love because people will think, well, this is about who I love, and we'll get into that in, in our discussion in a minute, um, because we can't help who we love, can't help who we love, okay? So it's not about love at all. Mm -hmm. It's about the act, okay? It's not about the person. So it's what we do. We don't judge a person, but sometimes we are called to judge 
acts and actions. Mm -hmm. So that kind of gives a little context there. Mm -hmm. yeah, um, thank you. There's a cultural agenda behind it as well, too, because what the culture tends to do is to want to discredit the church and to sh show that the church is... Um, you know, hates homosexuals, that they're going to hell, all of this. And that is not what the church teaches at all. Mm -hmm. So the culture is not honest about, you know, church teaching. So therefore, it is important that we educate ourselves, that we figure out for ourselves. We don't just take for granted that what the culture is telling us is true. Um, the culture will also play on our compassion. Because when, when a person is dealing with same-sex attraction, especially if it's someone that we know, a friend of ours or someone in our family, you know, we want them to be happy. Yeah, we do. Absolutely. We want all, all people that we love to be happy. And so that what the culture is doing is they're saying, well, if you're telling them no, that they can't do what they feel they're called to do, then you're not compassionate. You're a hater. You're a homophobe, you know, all of these things. And, and so that is, that is not true at all in terms of the church. So, um, you know, the culture will do that. The culture plays on our compassions. It says, well, I guess I have to say that this is okay then because if I don't, then I'm looked at as a hater, mm -hmm. you know. And this is a person that I love, that I want to love and I want them to be happy. And then also, because of the culture we live in, we find, um, especially in the cancel culture that we're in, that people are bullied into silence. Even if they disagree with what the culture is saying, they don't feel that they can say anything. Mm -hmm. They might not feel equipped to respond to it, yeah. or they just don't want to have to deal with all the garbage that's going to come their way if they speak the truth. So we're going out on a limb, and yep. we're going to speak the truth, <laughs> and we're going to do it hopefully in a loving and compassionate way because we're not judging anyone. We're simply feeling called to put that truth out there so that people can inform their consciences because ultimately that's what we have to do is inform our consciences and then we defer to that. Right. So to get to your right. question finally. Yes, no, that was um, great context. And I'm, I'm glad you went through it all because the church has a stance and yes. I think it's important to communicate that. Yes, and if we look back on history, I mean, ever since the fall, I mean, certainly, um, Human beings have, have been dealing with same-sex attraction since the beginning of time, you know, since, since sin entered the world. And, but I think typically most people who were, would consider themselves to be homosexual, they just kind of dealt with their attractions and their feelings and their lifestyle, and they lived it in what we called in the closet, you know. It was in the closet. Nobody talked about it. You just kind of swept it under the rug. And, you know, it was really something that was looked down on, you know, through the culture. It wasn't affirmed or anything like that. If anything, you know, people were mocked because if they had same-sex attraction or something okay. like that. Yeah. So, but things kind of changed in the 1960s. Um, that was really, there was a lot of cultural unrest. Um, you know, we see the sexual revolution taking place then. All, all kinds of things were going on in the 60s. And so... Um, people were feeling more empowered to just speak their minds and to throw out, you know, all the norms that had been. Um, something else that was also going on at that time, the birth control pill made mm -hmm. its appearance in the 1960s. And this was really um, it, an important development because what the pill did was it separated sex from babies. I mean, typically, you know, um, if a couple had sex, there was always the chance that conception would take place, that there would be a baby. But if you could ensure 
that you could have sex, but you didn't have to worry about a baby, and you would all of a sudden have so much more freedom to do what you wanted to do. So really, marriage began to lose its original meaning then because of the birth control pill and all that brought to the cultural discussion. And I think today it's safe to say that as a culture, certainly not individually because I think a lot of people do understand what marriage is, but as a culture, we don't understand what marriage is and we've kind of lost sight of all of that. Mm -hmm. So really the slippery slope then became that, well, if you don't have to worry about having babies to have sex, then you can have sex whenever you want and with whoever you want, kind of, not get caught right? Then no sexual act was looked at as wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, people could just do that. And um, as a result of that, in the secularization of our culture, we have lost objective truth. I mean, that there are some things that are absolutely always true or not, or always good and always evil. There's been this acceptance of relativism or subjective truth where my truth and my morality is whatever I think it is, and yours is whatever you think it is. And as long as we're not hurting anybody, then that's okay. And really, then anything goes. And right. um, Pope uh, Benedict Emeritus, he actually spoke of this major evil of relativism, and he called it a dictatorship of relativism. And oh. we're seeing that play out. We really are. Mm -hmm. um, it kind of reminds me of... The, the fairy tale, The Emperor's New Clothes. Are you familiar with that story? Loosely. Okay. I know I've heard of it, but you'll yes. have to refresh yes. my memory. Well, basically, in The Emperor's New Clothes, there's a story about an emperor, and he's very vain, and um, a tailor comes into town and convinces the emperor that he needs all this money because he's going to make the emperor all these fancy clothes. Okay. So he gets all this money from the emperor, and he, he goes about weaving cloth and making the clothes. But there's nothing there. And the emp and the, the tailor comes, and he goes, Oh, your highness, see how beautiful this clothing is and the fabric that I've used and everything. And, and the emperor doesn't want to look stupid, so he kind of goes along with it. And, and he's thinking, well, what's wrong with me? But he, he won't say anything. Mm -hmm. And so this goes on and on. And then finally, you know, there's going to be this big procession, and the emperor is going to model his clothes and so all of the towns people come out and they've lined the streets and the emperor's parading around in his underwear you know with all of his clothes on yeah. and the people are going oh isn't it beautiful the emperor's new clothes are just so beautiful <laughs> and you know going along with it because yeah. they don't have the courage to speak out and finally a little child goes but he's naked <laughs> and that's the gist of it and it's sort of like, that's kind of like what we need to do. We need to, the innocence of a child who has no agenda, you know, to speak the truth. And so what we really need to do without an agenda is to speak the truth in love, in love. And that's really hard to do today because people don't always want to hear it, especially in the culture of relativism that we're in because people don't believe there are any objective truths a lot right. of the times right that is true so um if we talk about the human body I, I find it so fascinating you know the way god made us and it can reveal so much so can you talk about the body in terms of natural law absolutely absolutely um, we can look at our bodies and we can understand that certain parts of our bodies are made for certain things specific purposes mm -hmm. i mean that's 
you don't have to be a theologian to know right. that. And I mean, it's pretty science, obvious. Science tells us that. Um, but there are certain truths that arise from the laws of nature, and these have to do with how things function scientifically even. So natural law is very much a part of you know, scientific, the scientific viewpoint. Um, mm-hmm. So natural law governs the behavior of human beings because it's written into our very hearts. We know this. It's, it, it is knowable, at least. Our, you know, our intellects are dimmed because of original sin, but it is knowable because this is actually written into our very natures. And it's a set of norms that simply guides us to true happiness. You know, it's about what is good and what is evil. We have this tendency to know that. I mean, sometimes we can say that people are born without a conscience, but typically we know, we can see something that's an injustice and know that it's wrong innately. We don't necessarily have to be taught that. Okay, so the natural law concerns what we should do, not just what we can do. Okay, so we have free will, though. And so even though natural law would guide how the body would be utilized in in the different parts of the body, our free will can certainly, you know, take us other places. So I can do whatever I want, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's good for me or that mm-hmm. it's the right thing to do. So if there's a, a beautiful glass of poison here, but it looks really good and it tastes really good, I can drink it, mm-hmm. but then there's going to be a consequence. Yeah. And so that's what happens when we go against the natural law because of our free will, there's going to be a consequence. And so when we misuse our bodies, there are potential consequences as well. We don't always want to talk about that as a culture, but they are there. (laughs) They are definitely there. Yeah. That poison example really helps just to break it down. Um, But so obviously about, you know, half of us are born female, Mm -hmm. half of us are born male. And so can you talk about the church's stance on like gender specific sexuality? That's a really good question, Kerrigan, because, um, you know, again, we, we look at how we're created, male and female, and that God stamps this call to be a gift within mm-hmm. our bodies. So we're made to fit together a man's body and a woman's body, and you know, the call to reflect God's love freely, totally, faithfully, and fruitfully as in the Trinity. But if we look at a man and a man together or a woman and a woman together, it's a very different meaning than a man and a woman together. So that complementarity, again, between man and woman, between male and female, is, is very important in understanding how our, the role that our bodies play in our sexuality. And, um, you know, the other problem is, is that while our bodies are created to be oriented to the opposite sex, so a woman is her body is created to be oriented to a man's and vice versa. Our attractions aren't always that way. So we can't mm-hmm. help who we're attracted to. Yeah. You know, we can't help who we love. It's not our fault. So when a person is dealing with same-sex attraction, it's not their fault. Their body is oriented to the opposite sex, but their attraction is not. And so therein lies... The, the important issue. I mean, because this is real for people who are going through this. Right, right. So if same-sex attraction is not someone's fault, then would, you know, homosexuality not be someone's fault either? 
It's, it's not their fault. It's mm-hmm. not their fault. Nor is it a sin, okay, mm-hmm. um, in and of itself because it's not something that we choose, you know? So if same-sex attraction is not someone's fault, mm-hmm. then homosexuality, that's not a sin? No, that's a great question. It's a, And this is where I think the church is misjudged so much because people think that, oh, well, if I'm, if I'm gay then the church hates me, then I'm sinning, I'm going to hell kind of thing. And that yeah. is couldn't be further from the truth. Mm-hmm. So because homosexuality or same-sex attraction is not something that is chosen, um, it's usually discovered, you know, a person can discover it, um, it is not sinful in and of itself because it's not something that we choose. It's not something that we can help. Um, you know, we can talk about nature, nurture, why is this, why is a person um, feeling this way, or why are their attractions this way. But I think for a person who considers themselves hom- considers themselves homosexual it doesn't matter to them you know how they got that way right, this is right. this is who they are mm-hmm. this is who they are and i think we need to learn how to accept people where they are and meet them where they are and not criticize them because of it because they can't help it now acting on it is a whole different discussion but um because this is who someone is. So we talk about, well, so how does how did that come to be? Okay, well, we know so far there is no gay gene. Okay, there is no gay gene. However, we do know that in utero during fetal development, there are hormone bursts um, that, that take place. And sometimes that can impact, um, you know, a person's tendencies or their personality or something like that, you know, uh, a boy might end up being more feminine or a girl might be more masculine, not only in, you know, their behaviors, but just, you know, how they're even thinking. Um, Then we also have, you know, socialization, gender roles, all of that that can play into it. So say, for example, um, if you have, have a little boy and he is just a gentler soul, you know, he's maybe a little more effeminate. And then as he grows, the the boys make fun of him because they're all rough and tumble and he doesn't enjoy that kind of thing for whatever reason. So he ends up spending more time, you know, maybe with the girls or doing things that the the boys typically might not be interested in. Right. And so he begins then to think, oh, well, this is the way I am. And he can take that on through his socialization. So sometimes that can play a role in it. Not always, certainly, but but if we're looking at all different things, if it's nature, nurture, it could be both of those. Um, also, not certainly not in all cases, but many times abuse can play into it or people's experiences. So for example, let's say um, if you have a young woman who has been um, just abused terribly by a male, the thought of being with a man would be so repulsive to her mm-hmm. that she finds maybe more like-mindedness, more more understanding, more comfort within females. And the culture that we live in as well blurs the line. So people are just finding that, oh, it's okay to experiment a little bit. And maybe, you know, maybe I should just try you know, someone of the same sex and just see maybe because I haven't had luck with the opposite sex. So there's so many things that can play into it. But I think it's important to remember that for the person who considers themselves homosexual, this is who they are. And it's really not for us to determine why or how they got that way. 
I mean, this is who they are. So, oh, all, all good examples to walk through. Yeah. So, shall we dive into what the church says in Certainly. the catechism? Certainly. And I think that's one of the best places to go. Um, just people will read scripture, especially in the Old Testament. And they take it out of context, and you know people will use that as ammunition for condemning homosexuals, and um, even in Romans we we see some passages. But that's why I think the Catechism is is a great place to go here. So in um, chapter twenty three, I mean paragraph twenty three fifty seven, the Catechism says there is no sin in being homosexual or having same sex attraction. However, homosexual acts are immoral, sinful, and intrinsically disordered. So that's what the church says in articulating God's truth about being homosexual and a homosexual act, which are two different things, okay? And then it goes on to say in paragraph 2358, persons with homosexual tendencies must be accepted with respect, compassion, and sensitivity. Every sign of unjust discrimination in their regard should be avoided. So we're called to accept our brothers and sisters who are homosexuals. We're not called to condone a behavior. We're talking about the person here. And the church is telling us we are to accept and to walk with them, to be sensitive and compassionate. That doesn't mean we're condoning a behavior, but we're validating a person as a child of God. Mm -hmm. And it's important that we that we look at that. So... If there's no sin being homosexual, then can you talk about, you know, getting into the act? So why does the church view that as disordered? Okay. And and disorders is kind of a strong term. Yeah, yeah. I think sometimes people read this passage about, you know, no sin in being a homosexual, but then they get to this disordered and they think that disordered is talking about the person. And and it's not. It's modifying the act, okay? So we get back to our English grammar and everything. <laughs> um, you know, so we're, again, the person is not disordered. Right. But the act, acting out on their attraction, would be disordered. And the reason it's disordered is because it goes against the very nature, the innate, innate nature of the sexual act. So there are basically two purposes to the sexual act. The unitive, which brings two people together, and the procreative. Okay, which potentially leads to new life. And those are never meant to be separated. They're never meant to be separated. And we know that a home, because of free, total, faithful, fruitful, that a homosexual act can never be procreative. I mean, it can't be. And, you know, for a, a homosexual couple to be married and to adopt children is not the same thing. Because again, we're talking about the act here, the, the physical act, the marital act, which cannot take place in a homosexual marriage because again, the, the body parts are not present to do that. Um, so we say again that the act is intrinsically disordered because it goes against the very nature of the, um, the sexual act. So it goes against the natural law. Okay. So that's why we talk about the act being disordered, not the person, but the act. Okay. So again, all sexual activity outside of God's divine plan is a misuse of the gift and is intrinsically disordered. So we're not just picking on homosexuals and homosexual acts and saying, well, a homosexual act is, 
intrinsically disordered, and so therefore, you know, if you're gay, you're going to go to hell kind of thing. No. It's no different than a misuse of God's plan for any of the other things we've talked about, whether it's sex outside of marriage, whether it's adultery, whether it's contraceptive sex, whether it's masturbation. All of these are outside of the realm of God's plan, which is marriage between one man and one woman, to reflect how God loves free, total, faithful, and fruitful. So that's why we say that a homosexual act is disordered, but it's no more disordered than any of these other misuses. And I think there's a misunderstanding there. Right. So. Right. So anyway. if someone's watching this or even, you know, just anyone out there mm -hmm. who says, well, like, I am this way, God made me this way, what would the church, like, say to that person? Yeah. And that is... Gosh, that's such a great question, and that is so difficult. I think it gets to the mm -hmm. crux of it, really, for so many people, because I think people genuinely, I mean, the, you know, the, the people who have um, same-sex attraction that I, that I know of, I mean, they're wonderful people. Mm -hmm. They're really, they're, they're good people. Of course they are. And they genuinely don't understand. They go, well, you know, I didn't choose this. I mean, God made me this way, so why then am I not allowed to act on it the way you're allowed to act on it just because you're heterosexual? Mm. What, why is that? And I think to really understand it, we need to always go back to the beginning. Like Jesus would always send us back to the beginning. Mm. So we have to do that here too. So we know that, um, you know, prior to the fall in God's perfection of creation, it was man and woman were attracted to each other. There was no issue. Okay, But when the fall came, we recall that it fractures the entire cosmos. I mean, everything is affected by it. Everything right. is broken. And that even can mean that our attractions can be skewed because of original sin. Um, you know, our desires, our passions can be skewed because of original sin. So while we are all made in the image and likeness of God, Original sin does impact all of us. And so to a person who is dealing with same-sex attraction, they can say, well, God made me this way. You know, my response is, well, God allowed you to be this way, but it wasn't his original intention. Just like God's original intention was not that a child be born blind or someone be born with any other kind of handicap. That wasn't God's intention in the perfection of creation, but God allows nature to play its course. And when original sin fractured the cosmos, we're all impacted. So that really makes it difficult. I hope that, you know, when people hear that, they realize that a homosexual person is not flawed in who they are as a person and as a child of God. It's just simply their attraction that is not what God would have originally intended. Right. Just like, you know, I could have an attraction to all, any other many kind of perversions that wouldn't have been of, of God, but I could say that, you know, that's, that's part of me. That's who I am. I can't help it. We can't help our attractions. We can only help how we respond to them and how we live it out. Right. And therein lies a really difficult situation right yeah right yeah. so if you know that's someone's cross to bear and um 
they're living their life and you know like what are they supposed to do what is a homosexual person supposed to do especially if they love someone right right and truly it is it is a cross to bear it's a huge cross to bear we all have crosses to bear but this would be one of the most difficult I think to be able to or to um to know that you could have such deep feelings for another person but you can never act on that at least in a sexual sense um so what are we called to do definitely well first of all the church is called and and I think does this when given the opportunity to reach out to all of us as sinners um but especially to homosexuals who who want to live according to church teaching, who want to live according to God's plan. So we're all called to the virtue of chastity. And um, no matter what state we are in life, we're all called to that. And that's simply, I like to define it as um, respecting sexuality according to our state in life. So as a married person, I'm still called to chastity. You're still called to chastity. But what that means is that within our marriage covenant, we can act that out in a way to reflect God's love through the marital act. Okay, If someone is not within a marriage covenant like that, then chastity for them means that they don't act out on that. And that can be very difficult because, you know, our sexuality is something that, I mean, it, it's very innately a part of us. And to love someone so much where you want to give yourself physically to them. So this is where we have to develop self-control. And when it comes to um, assisting our brothers and sisters who, who have same-sex attraction, we are really called to walk with them. We are called to um, meet them where they are to be Christ to them, to encourage them to have what we would call, um, I guess, authentic, meaningful friendships that don't have to be sexual because everyone has meaningful relationships in their lives that are not right. sexual. Right. So we can do that. There are also many different kinds of intimacy. It doesn't always have to be a physical intimacy. You can share emotional intimacy with people. You can share intellectual intimacy. There's so many ways to do that. I mean, we have so many beautiful examples in our clergy and our consecrated religious of how they are, are living their lives, you know, chastely. Um, We see wonderful single people who are doing that too, Mm -hmm. but the culture doesn't help it because the culture is saying, well, if you're not having sex, you're crazy. You're missing out. Um, But that's really, again, that's just the over-sexualization of the culture because that's not what it's all about. So again, um, I would would encourage, the church does offer um, a ministry called Courage uh, to people who are dealing with same-sex attraction. And um, I believe that is courageRC.org. Um, in the show notes, there will be more information about that for anybody who's interested. And that, that is a wonderful ministry that really assists people in the real world who are dealing with these real issues, okay. who want, want to live the way Christ is calling them to live. But it's hard. You know, it's really hard. And so that's one way to do it. And I think the rest of us as church need to really love all people, Mm -hmm. but especially people who are carrying such a big cross. And that doesn't necessarily mean condoning a behavior. You know, I love you too much 
to want to allow you to do this. So even though I'm not equating the two, if my child is a drug addict and what would make them happy would be to be on drugs all the time. Yeah, I want them to be happy, but I can't condone the behavior. So I love them enough to say, no, this is not good for you. And likewise, the same thing with, you know, those homosexual friends and family that we have to very compassionately say, I am not judging you as a person, but I would really encourage you to reach out to Jesus Christ because with his grace, through the sacraments, we can find the strength. They can find the strength. I mean, marriage is not easy. I depend on the grace of the sacrament, you know, <laughs> to, to live yeah. out my marriage. Yeah, yeah. And in any state of life that we're in, I mean, Jesus is there to help us, and the church is there to support us. And um, so it's it's big. So hopefully we'll come back and we'll be able to revisit this on a more micro level because this is just such a huge topic. And uh, But we hope that maybe this has helped clarify um, at least why the church teaches as it does and and to maybe know that you know we we want to compassionately and lovingly reach out to especially those friends and relatives that we know that are are dealing with same-sex attraction they are children of God and um, they are loved by God and whatever we can do to help support them in living the life that God calls them to so on that note, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time Thank on Naked you. Without Shame. This show and all media on Awaken Catholic is made possible by the Awaken Nation and the Hollow app. The Awaken Nation is a community of people like you who support all things Awaken for as cheap as a cup of coffee a week and get access to exclusive content. Learn more by visiting awakencatholic.org donate. Hollow is the only audio-guided Catholic prayer app focused on contemplative prayer and traditional Catholic meditation such as Lexio Divina, Daily Examine, and the Rosary. We here at Awaken all use Hollow every day and love it. To learn more or give it a try, visit hollow.app/awaken.